welcome to Anchored by Truth, brought to you by Crystal Sea Books. In John 14.6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Our goal is to encourage everyone to grow in the Christian faith by anchoring themselves to the secure truth found in the inspired, inerrant, and infallible Word of God. The Lord said to the man, The ground will be under a curse because of what you did. As long as you live, you will have to struggle to grow enough food. Genesis chapter 3, verse 17, Contemporary English Version Hello! Welcome to Anchored by Truth, brought to you by Crystal Sea Books. I'm Victoria Kay. We're so happy you are able to join us today on Anchored by Truth as we continue with the series we're calling The Seriousness of Sin. Thus far in the series, we've seen that despite the world's desire to deny the reality of sin, the denials are always unsuccessful. The world can deny that sin exists, but they cannot escape the consequences of its existence. As he has been throughout the series, to help us continue to think through hard truths that accompany sin's existence, we have R.D. Fierro. R.D. is an author and the founder of Crystal Sea Books. R.D., how can we be sure for ourselves that sin exists? Well, before I get into your question, I'd also like to welcome everybody to this episode of Anchored by Truth. We're glad you're here. We hope that you enjoy these episodes, and we sure hope that you get something out of them. Well, people can readily determine for themselves that everything that the Bible says about God, about sin, and judgment is true for themselves just by thinking about one word, guilt. You know, as we mentioned in one of our previous episodes, guilt is God's gift to man to assure us that he exists, that sin is real, and that there is a coming judgment. For most people, the emotion of guilt is not very pleasant, and it can produce all kinds of very unpleasant sensations and even painful behavior. Most people probably don't think of guilt as a gift from God. But it is. If you think about what the concept of guilt implies— For guilt to be present, there first of all must be some kind of an offense. Now, for an offense to occur, there must be a law or standard that defines permissible behavior or activity. And for there to be a law or a standard, there has to be a law giver or a standard maker. And none of that would be meaningful at all, even if it existed, if human beings did not possess the ability to understand the existence of laws and standards and the implications of violating those laws and standards. So our guilt assures us that somewhere there is a lawgiver who has established laws and standards so pervasive that when we violate them, we all have a keen awareness that we have violated them. Guilt is an emotion experienced by a personal being who isn't just aware of their environment, but also aware of moral and ethical obligations. Lesser animals can and do respond to stimuli in their environments, including emotional stimuli. Your pet dog or cat can detect when you are happy or sad and can even act to provide a comforting response. 
but your pet does not know whether you are sad because a friend of yours just died or you are miserable because you just got caught breaking the law and now you're facing the consequences. But another person can know and can understand the difference. Another person shares the awareness that we all have of moral and ethical obligations. We may try to deny that we do, but even the denial is self-defeating. If the obligation isn't there, what would be the point of denying it? Right. Moral and ethical obligations to which we are all subject are real. So is the fact that we all fail to live up to those obligations. We are all aware of the obligations and we are all aware of our failure to live up to those obligations. Guilt is the consequence of our awareness of our failure. Guilt is evidence of sin because sin is a failure to honor the obligations that our Creator has established for us. Now, we can deny the Creator and we can deny the obligations, but what no one does very successfully is deny the experience of guilt. And guilt has been present ever since the first sin in the Garden of Eden. Chapter 3 of Genesis is clear that Adam and Eve immediately experienced regret, which is why they tried to cover themselves and subsequently hide from God. Guilt is the awareness of wickedness within. Adam and Eve hid, just as Proverbs chapter 28 verse 1 says, quote, The wicked flee, though no one pursues, but the righteous are as bold as a lion, unquote. Adam and Eve fled from God's presence even before God pursued them. Correct. The introduction of guilt into Adam and Eve's minds was one of the consequences of that very first sin, but of course there were a lot of other consequences of that first sin. And in our last episode of Anchored by Truth, we talked about that one of the consequences of that first sin was the introduction of death into the created order. And that episode of Anchored by Truth is available from our website, crystalcbooks.com, C-R-Y-S-T-A-L-S-E-A-B-O-O-K-S.com, as are all the episodes of Anchored by Truth. But death and guilt were by no means the only consequences of that first sin. And that's what we want to spend some time discussing today, some of the other consequences of the first sin. So, what is another of those consequences? Well, we heard about two of the other consequences of the first sin in our opening scripture. Man's labor, man's work was cursed, and then even the ground, even the created order was also cursed because of that first sin. We've been living in a sin-stained world for so long that it's hard to remember sometime that work was not always a burden to people. When Adam and Eve were first placed in the garden, they were given the job of tending it. Tending the garden was their work, their job. But initially, their work was not cursed. Their work was for them as God's work was for him, when he created the heavens and the earth and shaped everything to be suitable for mankind. God is creative and productive, and he created people to be creative and productive. But the burdensome nature of work did not arrive until after Adam and Eve sinned. We see that in God's pronouncement to our first parents that, Quote, as long as you live, you will have to struggle to grow enough food, unquote. Yes. So we see that it makes sense that God cursed the ground as well as cursing man's labor. 
you know, if the ground, the created order, had remained the same as it was before the first sin, well, it would have continued to supply the same fruit and other food as it had before. It would have supplied that fruit and food, frankly, without any effort on man's part. It's not hard to see that that kind of a situation would easily have contributed to man being able to multiply his sin, to multiply his rebellion even further. Before the first sin, Adam and Eve could eat freely from the trees in the garden, except for one tree. After the first sin, they had to struggle to get enough food. I am reminded of one of the verses from one of your poems, the Genesis Saga. One of the stanzas in the Genesis Saga says, quote, Fertile soil that had been so friendly now brought forth noxious weed. Only by sweat of weary brow would man be able to feed. Unquote. I love that phrase. Noxious weed. What you are saying is that if the ground had not started bringing forth, in the words of Genesis chapter 3, verse 18, thorns and thistles, Adam and Eve would have had a lot more free time on their hands. Anyone who has ever tried to grow a garden knows how much time and effort it takes to control the weeds. Exactly. Part of the reason God made Adam have to spend more time supplying their food was because that reduced the amount of time and energy that Adam had to think about mischief, to commit mischief, to do sinful activities. And you know, that pattern continues thousands of years later. If you think about it, it's very hard to get the food crops that we enjoy to grow. It's hard to grow tomatoes and peppers, bean, corns, whatever. It's hard to get those kind of crops to grow to maturity and be suitable for food. But it doesn't take any effort whatsoever for weeds to cover every vacant inch of ground in a yard or a garden or a park or a forest. Now, why is that? Why is it so hard to get food crops to grow, but it takes no effort for weeds and thorns and thistles to come forth? No one cultivates weeds, yet they appear everywhere. Genesis chapter 3 provides a very clear explanation for why it's hard to grow productive food crops, but it's not hard to grow weeds and thorns and thistles. And we see this awareness of the cursed nature of creation continued in other parts of Scripture. For instance, in Romans chapter 8 verse 22, the Apostle Paul writes, quote, We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time, We know that this idea is objectionable to our contemporary society, but the entire fabric and operation of our world is entirely consistent with Scripture. The fact that God cursed the ground so Adam and Eve would have to struggle for their daily existence would certainly have limited their time for, as you said, mischief but it would also have limited their energy for mischief. Just about every person who transitions into adulthood realizes that one reason your lifestyle changes is that it takes a lot of energy to hold down a job, manage a house, put meals on the table, and so forth. So, in a way, God's curse on the ground was part of God's plan of redemption to limit sin and to promote man's dependence on God. Yes. And God's curse on the ground also had another benefit for man. You know, hard physical labor, that's the best physical fitness program that there is. And in an agrarian society, which is certainly what existed in Adam's time, growing food, building shelters, making tools, caring for animals, in those days, just as today, that involves hard physical labor. 
So all that hard physical labor would have helped Adam, Eve, and their children stay in pretty good physical condition. I see where you're going. Before the first sin, death didn't exist in the created order. So, in a certain sense, Adam and Eve didn't have to worry about their health, and that changed when death became part of their world. Now things could go wrong with their bodies, so they needed to be concerned. That would never have troubled them before sin. Exactly. You know, despite the claims by some of the pop culture preachers, we really don't have any idea what Adam and Eve look like. Now, it's reasonable to believe that before the first sin, they were the best possible specimens of human beings that there could be. And a lot of people speculate about Adam's size, skin color, hair and eye color, etc., but really it's useless to do so. Adam and Eve were probably beautiful insofar as our standards of human beauty are concerned, but we have actually no idea what Adam and Eve's physical appearance was. But I think we can be fairly sure that they were very physically fit and that their bodies were initially perfectly healthy. Well, of course, this is a time before the pollutants and the contaminants that are present had entered the world, before bacteria and viruses had mutated into causing sickness and disease. And it was a time before the genetic mutations in Adam and Eve's own DNA had started creating problems for them or for their children. Well, according to Genesis chapter 5, verses 3 and 4, Adam did live to be 930 years old. That's a pretty good run, especially by our standards. Right. So Adam and Eve would have been very healthy initially. But if they had not had to work hard physically to supply their needs, that could have changed pretty quickly. I mean, imagine how most of us would look if we had all the food we wanted to eat, didn't cost us anything, and we didn't have to do any work to get it. So by cursing the ground, God was actually teaching Adam and Eve some valuable lessons. Lessons that weren't necessarily pleasant ones, but things they needed to know for the future they had created for themselves by sinning. So a couple of immediate consequences of that first sin was that work was now cursed, and the ground which would produce the food was also cursed. Now, in time, those curses would have had other impacts on Adam and Eve. Like blisters, sore backs, aching knees, bruises, scrapes, etc. That wouldn't have been any fun for people used to living in paradise, where nothing could hurt them. No, it wouldn't. So the consequences of that first sin, they were going to continue to multiply as time went by. Well, another immediate consequence of that first sin was that God expelled Adam and Eve from the Garden of Eden. And believe it or not, that expulsion was necessary for God's plan of redemption. Why is that? Because the Bible tells us very clearly that the wages of sin is death. Said a little differently, ultimately, for restoration and redemption to be possible, Adam and Eve's rebellion against God was going to have to be punished by death. And we had the very first hint that that was true when the first innocent animals were killed to make clothing for Adam and Eve. Oh, that's Genesis chapter 3, verse 21, which says, quote, Then the Lord God made clothes out of the animal skins for the man and his wife, unquote. It's important to note that even from the beginning, God initiated the sacrifices that would be necessary to redeem man. The animals that were sacrificed belonged to God, not Adam and Eve. 
So, God took the first action to remediate sin and made the first sacrifice. This is a strong statement that salvation originates with God and is completed by God. Man is the beneficiary, but salvation from first to last is an activity of God's. Right. So, God making the first clothing for Adam and Eve was a foretaste of what was to come. Death was going to be a necessity to cover Adam and Eve's sin. Now, ultimately, it was going to be the death of God's anointed son who was going to have to be able to represent man as well as representing God. And that's why Jesus had to come in the flesh to make that final perfect sacrifice to correct the effects of sin. But Jesus could not have died if Adam and Eve had remained within the Garden of Eden. We learn that from verses 22 through 24 of Genesis chapter 3. Those verses say, quote, The Lord said that now know the difference between right and wrong, just as we do. They must not be allowed to eat fruit from the tree that lets them live forever. So the Lord God sent them out of the Garden of Eden, where they would have to work the ground from which man had been made. Then God put winged creatures at the entrance to the garden and a flaming, flashing sword to guard the way to the life-giving tree, unquote. That's from the contemporary English version. If Adam and Eve had remained in the Garden of Eden and eaten from the tree of life, they could not have experienced physical death. In effect, they would have lived permanently in their sinful state, estranged from God because spiritual death had come upon them. But the fact that they were expelled from the Garden and would experience a physical death meant that the physical death would also be possible for their descendants, including the one who would die an atoning death to save his people from their sin. Yes, so God expelling Adam and Eve from the Garden of Eden, which contained the Tree of Life, that was a necessary step in the overall plan of redemption. Adam and Eve would experience a physical death for their own sin. But Adam and Eve's far distant descendant would experience a physical death for the sins of others because Jesus never had a sin of his own. No other human being in history could ever atone for the sin of anyone else because as Romans chapter 3 verse 23 says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Everyone but Jesus dies for their own sins. But Jesus never committed a sin. So in the plan which God had created before the foundation of the world, Jesus would come in time to die for the sins of others because Jesus never needed to die for his own sins. It's important to remember that we are only still talking about the consequences of the first sin. We rarely stop and think about the enormous price that has been paid just because of that one sin. Death entered the created order because of the first sin. Man's labor was cursed because of the first sin. The ground, the created order itself, was cursed because of the first sin. And the first sin set in motion a plan that would someday require the death of God's only Son, the second person of the Holy Trinity, in order to redeem fallen sinners and creation. This is a staggering price when you think about it which is exactly why we wanted to do this Seriousness of Sin series. You know, we rarely think about all the consequences that attach to our sin. 
But in the next few episodes of Anchored by Truth, we're going to take a look at other examples from the Bible that God has given to us to tell us exactly how seriously God treats sin. We're going to talk about examples such as the flood of Noah that's described in chapters 6 through 9 of Genesis, and we're going to talk about the destruction of the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. But before we close for today, are there other consequences that you want to point out that resulted from that first sin? Well, so far we've talked about the entrance of death into the created order, the curses that God put on the ground and on man's labor to produce food, and the expulsion of Adam and Eve from the Garden of Eden. And even though we've covered all of these consequences, I want to point out that we have done so very quickly because we only have so much time in our broadcast and podcast episodes. But there's a great deal more that could be said about what happened as the result of that first sin. I mean, from a purely physical standpoint, we can see that that first sin resulted in pain, illness, and disease. And from an intellectual and emotional standpoint, we can see that that first sin produced worry, misery, guilt, and a host of other negative emotional and intellectual consequences. And all of those sad consequences weren't limited to mankind. Initially, men and all the animals were to live on a vegetarian diet. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 29 and 30, God said to Adam, I have provided all kinds of fruit and grain for you to eat, and I have given the green plants as food for everything else that breathes, including animals, both wild and tame, and birds. And so it was. That's from the Contemporary English Version Bible. But as time went by, all that changed. Animals eventually began to kill and eat other animals, and after the worldwide flood, God told Noah that certain animals were now suitable food for people. So a world initially at peace became a world filled with violence and aggression. Yes. You know, it's very accurate to say that everything in the physical creation changed as a consequence of that very first sin. But things also changed in the spiritual realm as well as in the physical realm. And in ways that we can't fully comprehend, that first sin probably made it possible for Satan and his demons to have increased access to this world, to this creation, and especially to people. At a minimum, that first sin certainly opened the door to increased warfare between humans and the demonic order. Well, Genesis chapter 3 verse 15 does record God speaking to Satan and saying, quote, Because you have done this, I will put enmity, open hostility, between you and the woman, and between your seed, offspring, and her seed. He shall fatally bruise your head, and you shall only bruise his heel. So God tells us that because of the first sin, he was going to put hostility between people and Satan and his followers. There are many passages in the Bible, such as Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, that tell us about the war. That verse says, quote, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, contending only with physical opponents, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly supernatural places, unquote. Both of those verses are from the Amplified Bible. Scholars debate when the angelic order, which includes both the holy angels as well as the demons, was created. It seems highly likely that the angels were already in existence before humans were ever created, and we can be very certain that Satan had already fallen before he encountered Eve. 
But note that Satan's temptation to Eve came from the outside. Satan spoke to Eve using some kind of language. But later in the Bible, we have very clear descriptions of demons being able to possess people, meaning that the demons at that point had the ability to interact with people's minds and emotions rather than being limited to acting on the outside of them. Well, we don't have any good information about the mechanics of how all that happened, but certainly all of that followed that very first sin. And if nothing else, it seems quite likely that the pace of warfare between the holy angels and the demons likely escalated after the first sin. Certainly, the remainder of the Bible contains descriptions of confrontations within the angelic realm that are tied to actions occurring on earth. The book of Revelation is filled with descriptions of things occurring in heaven that are tied to events taking place on earth. And Daniel chapter 10 contains a description of an angelic messenger that was sent to Daniel but was held up for 21 days by a demon who he described as, quote, the prince of the kingdom of Persia, unquote. Many scholars think that both the demons and the angels seem to have special spheres of authority for parts of the earth. The archangel Michael seems to have, or at least had, some special responsibility for Israel. So, that first sin did not just affect things on earth. It also affected the heavenly realm. Now, we can have no idea, no way of knowing what would have happened if Adam and Eve had resisted temptation. But we can be very sure that profound changes occurred throughout the earth and heaven because of their choice to disobey God that first time. That's the seriousness of sin. Satan's sin, before he tempted Eve, had already compromised the harmony of heaven. Well, Adam and Eve had a chance to avoid importing that conflict into the physical creation, but they didn't. Adam and Eve drew Satan's spirit of rebellion into a cosmos that had been created pure and good. Sin compromised the peace and harmony of this earth just as it had previously compromised the peace and harmony of heaven. You know, we rarely think about the tendrils of sin, but the plain fact is that sin is never an isolated act without repercussions. And as we're going to see over our next few episodes, sin is a viral contagion, and once it's let loose, it sweeps multitudes to destruction. And that first sin did all that. All sin does that, and that's why we need to so desperately seek the Lord's power to quench sin in our own lives. So the big idea that we wanted to introduce last time and continue today is that to properly understand the seriousness of sin, we must look at where sin started. The first sin in the garden had a multitude of consequences, none of them good. Sin is serious. We must acknowledge sin as being serious if we ever want to be able to effectively combat it in our own lives. This sounds like a great time to pray. Today, let's listen to a prayer of adoration for the Creator God who originated a very good creation and one day will restore its perfection. A Prayer of Praise for the Creator Mighty and everlasting Father, you are a kind and merciful God. You have given us eyes to see, fingers to touch, ears to hear, and minds to understand. 
you bring us into the full and certain knowledge of your transcendent creative power. When men gazed at the stars and sky, they could perceive the depth, but not measure the distance. Through your grace, man now has the ability to understand that your cosmos is more supremely complex and vast than ever could have been known before. What mortal mind can fathom this magnificence? Praise be to you, Father of the galaxy, and praise to your Son, who created at your right hand. It is because of his descent that we will one day be lifted up. So we pray and give thanks in his name. Amen. Is the Bible important in your life? Supporting Anchored by Truth with a contribution is an easy way to put your faith into action. The opportunity to help is available at crystalseabooks.com. How wonderful would it be for Jesus to commend us because we made His Word a priority in our lives and giving. We are grateful for your support and partnership. We hope you'll be with us next time, and we hope you'll take some time to encourage friends to tune in also or to listen to the podcast version of this show. If you'd like to hear more, try out crystalseabooks.com where We're not perfect, but our boss is. And for those of you who need that website one more time, that's crystalseabooks.com. Crystal, C-R-Y-S-T-A-L-C-S-E-A, and books, B-O-O-K-S dot com. Thank you for your support.